Hello everyone and welcome back to another of our special episodes. We've got an absolute belter for you today with not just one Crew Alex legend, we've actually got two Crew Alex legends in the same pod. Um, as ever, to help me along the way, I'm also joined by a couple of our regular panellists. Firstly, he's the only one from our original episode who's yet to appear on one of these types of episodes. It's Steve Davis. Hi Steve. Evening Stu, you okay? Um, very good, thank you. Uh, next up is another panellist who's yet to appear on one of these episodes. It's Aaron Lewis. Hi, Aaron. Hi, guys. You all right? So, yeah, both of you, first time with this. Is this episode worth the wait for you two? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to this one since you said about it, so <laughs> definitely. I've been excited all week, Stu, I'm not going to lie, and I'm slightly nervous. Let's introduce it's them like then. royalty. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's introduce them. First up, he, I'm going to do it in uh, order of how, when you sign for the club. So first up, signing from Wakefield and Emily in December 1991, it's Sean Smith. Hi, Sean. Hi. How are how you doing? doing? I'm fine, thank you. I got that right. Was it Wakefield and Emily? Yeah, um, it was... I wasn't, I was, to be fair, I was only there, a lot of people think that I came from Zone League, but I was only there for about maybe five months. Um, it was in between leaving Halifax and then I signed on loan for the last couple of months of one season and then stayed for a couple of months of the season after um, before I came down on trial, so yeah. Next up then, signed three months later, March 1992, it's Steve McCauley. Hi, Steve. Hey, guys. Thanks for the build-up. No pressure or anything, <laughs> is it, <there>, Sean? <laughs> um, well, I was thinking, you know, it's um, a huge honour to have you both on. And like I say, it's the first time we've had two players on at the same time. But I was thinking back to the testimonial, and I thought if it's good enough for the club, then it's good enough for our podcast. So, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get started. Um, Sean, you've just mentioned you were at Halifax as a trainee, then you are at Wakefield and Emily. How does your move to crew happen from there? Um, well, while we were at Halifax, I was there with Terry McPhillips, um, who was obviously a player there. Um, and that was before he left to go to crew as a player. Um, and like I say, I was at Halifax. I was, and I went to uh, Emily for the last couple of months of, of one season. And then it was the start of the next we were a few games and I got a telephone call from Terry saying that a couple of scouts had been down to watch a few games and he asked if I'd be okay to come down for a day training. So I agreed, went down for a day training and it was after that first day that um, Dario said that he wanted to sign me till the end of that particular season, which obviously I jumped at the chance. Okay. What were your first impressions then when you signed for Crew? What was the first impressions of the club? Um, well, it was pretty much the same as I'd been used to because I come from Halifax, and at that time the, the Crew had the old wooden stand, uh, and we we 
got changed there, and then it was the two-mile walk down to Reeseheath to the training ground there. So it was it was pretty much spinning sawdust, which I've been used to Halifax really finding somewhere to train and finding uh, you know having to make it all the way down there. So I was just happy to be given the chance uh, from leaving Halifax. Um, been making my debut there, but then obviously things not going right, looking as if, you know, I'll probably miss this chance and I'm going to have to look at non-league to be given the chance to uh, try to play again. You know, I, like I said, I jumped at it. Okay. And then, Steve, you had a slightly different um, way to crew, didn't you? You started at Man City as a trainee. I did, yes. Yeah, I was there for four years Um got released after the, the second year pro. It was quite evident I wasn't going to uh, be involved in Mo Machin's plan. So uh, I pretty much had enough of football. At the end of that, I would have quite happily never kicked the ball again. Um, and then uh, Fleetwood, who were on my doorstep, sort of came knocking and said, look, why don't you just come and play for some beer money, if you like? You know, and it was like, it was great because the side was, I don't know what tier it was. It was, it was we were quite low down. HFS Loans League, Sean, remember that, Sean? Remember that, yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah, HFS Loans League. And uh, we had quite a few young lads who'd been released from various clubs. We had one from Everton, one from Liverpool, obviously me from City. And it was, it was a decent side and I, and I started to, to love the game again, really. And then crew came in for you. Obviously, Fleetwood, not the level, like you say, that they are now. So that would have been a step up for you back, going back to crew then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, uh, it was professional football again, um, but I was in a strange position because um, I was doing my A-levels at the time and I'd pretty much already got my mindset that I, w- I was going to be a physio. And when Dario actually asked me to come and speak to him, I'd been accepted by Liverpool Uni to go and do a physio degree. So I was a little bit flippant with it because I thought, I'm not even sure I want to do this. Um, but Dario, <laughs> in, his, in his classic style, came and, and spoke to my, uh, me and myself and my dad. We went to crew. Uh, and he said, um, look, he goes, <laughs> you can't pass it, you can't head it, you can't tackle, you don't really know the game very much, um, you know, but we, we want to sign you. So probably an arrogant response by me, I was like, well, if I'm that poor, why do you want to sign me? <laughs> and of course, he said, with my, with my excellent coaching, I think I can make a player out of you. <laughs> so I, I, I actually said no, because I thought, I'm not, I can't be doing with this guy. Uh, but then, in fairness, he, he said, look, you know, you can be a physio whenever. You can be a physio when you're 50. He said, but you only get one shot at this. And I'd already heard that, that they'd signed this really promising young lad with a dazzling personality called Sean Smith. So I thought, that was the seller, really. And the other place to go. <laughs> that was my next question then, guys. Obviously, you signed very close to each other. What was, do you remember meeting each other for the first time? What was your first impressions? All I, can, all I can remember with Steve was that at the time when he signed, he, like I said, he was still doing, you know, his college stuff. And and we did that he was signing a, uh, like an aging centre-half from Fleet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and, but the thing we heard was that obviously he was still, he was still studying at that time and we heard they'd actually promised him that if we were playing somewhere on that night and he was studying that they were going to get an helicopter and fly him down to the game which we thought <laughs> crikey this lad must be some player if they're going to do that uh, Is that how you remember it Steve? 
No, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the incident, though, Sean. I'll, I'll, I'll recollect. Yeah. I was doing, doing A levels at the time, and it was really awkward for me because I said, "Look, I can't, I can't train. I'll sign, but I can't train in the week. Not expecting to play." And he said, "Well, okay, yeah, just come for the games, which is a nightmare because when you go into any new dressing room, you've got to earn the lads' respect. And obviously, I'm this new guy." And I come in and I played the first game against, I think it was Blackpool actually, debut. Yeah. And it was a nightmare because the lads are looking, thinking, who the bloody hell is this guy coming in and strolling in and just playing? And then the next time I turned up it was a Tuesday night and, and there's a helicopter incident. It was the playoff one. It was it not Cardiff. Yeah. And, and I had um, a PE. Well, that first year, it comes off, boy. Yeah, playoff. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, I didn't get a helicopter, but there was a bit of talk about that. But a guy came and picked me up. Um, not sure it was worthwhile, but there you go. Um, now, you just alluded to the Scunthorpe game because I was doing a bit of prep before this. Um, and so 91-92 season, the season you started, I'd have been seven years old. So the spotty <laughs> memory. <for> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, there's sort of spotty memory. And I'd forgotten really how good the crew team of the 1990s were. Um, because the year that you joined and then for the next six seasons, crew were involved in the playoffs in every one of those seasons, weren't they? Um, so the first year it was Scunthorpe. Um, did you think it was a missed opportunity to go up though that first year? Uh, well, listen, both myself and Steve, we made our debuts in the same game because I made my debut in the Blackpool game. Because when I first signed, I signed on the Boxing Day, I think it was, because um, I actually played I'd come down trial and they'd ask me to sign I agreed but I had to work a bit of notice and in between times I went down and played a couple of games in the uh, Lancashire League for the reserves and I finished up doing my ankle and so I thought my time had finished before it had even started uh, but I finally got myself fit and I signed on the boxing day but it was it wasn't until that game where Steve went his Davy that I did as well um, and it was one of them things where it, from there I think that was towards the end of the season anyway but we were still like you say we did a decent side and, and we thought that we were uh, we were good enough to at least get to final it was just a bit, a bit obviously a bit of a disappointment to get beaten the away leg yeah yeah I don't have a great deal of memory from that the only guy I remember Sean was that it was Ian Helliwell Helliwell, he was a massive yeah. striker. He was a right handful. Yeah. Uh, I, remember, I remember thinking Scunthorpe had a, had a really good team that year, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I can remember one of their players, there was Steve Thornber that played with me at Halifax, and he was at Scunthorpe then. Um, and like I said, the only thing I can remember about that game was the second leg um, at Glanford Park when Billy Whitehurst had been at the <laughs> races all day. And he, uh, he, turned up in, he turned up in the dressing room and uh, he done probably a few to drink as you can imagine and, and to be honest that was the most entertaining thing about that night to be fair <laughs> Right, let's move on to the second season then so this is the season that most crew fans or a lot of crew fans will remember because it's one of the three times we've been to Wembley for a playoff final Unfortunately, though, it is the one that they didn't win or we didn't win. That York game, um, I've spoken before how I, for 
my position as a podcast host about Crew Alex, I've been to zero Crew playoff finals, despite the fact that Crew have been in three um, in my lifetime. And I have a reason for all three. This one, like I say, 1992, I was eight. My dad worked at Crew train station. He was working that day. My mum and dad bizarrely made the decision that I couldn't go on my own as an eight-year-old down to London. Um, never forgiven them for that. But so I, I listened to it on the radio that year. Um, so I wasn't there. So can you guys sum up how that day went? I don't think you played, did you see? I didn't, no, not in that one. The, the only thing I can remember was that it was the world's worst game. And it came to life in the last minute of extra time. That's, that's all I can. I know that we didn't play well. I know that after the uh, semi-final where we hammered Walsall, um, everyone was thinking that it was just going to be a, it were a, a, a fact that we were just going to go there and win. Um, I can remember we didn't play well. It was it wasn't a very good game. Uh, probably probably different to the second time at Wembley, where in that first game we were we were probably after the semi final we were expected to win, whereas you know from the other one we weren't. But it was the thing I can remember about that is that he tried Dalio tried to make it a, a normal game. He didn't. He, he tried to play it down as. It wasn't going to be a special occasion. It was just going to be a normal game. And I can remember the night before we stayed at Bisham Abbey. And it's, it was just like staying in a prison. We're in individual rooms that just have a bed and a sink. And that was it. Um, so you spent all night just laid in bed in this room that just had no decorations. But I just felt from the two, I mean, I know from the next time that we went to Wembley and we, we stayed at uh, Barn and Beaches when they see they played yeah, well, Brilliant, brilliant. Best uh, night of my life, that. Yeah, <laughs> but the first, the, the first time he tried to play it down that much that I think he played it down too much. And uh, I, th- I don't think, like I said, from remembering the game, I don't think we even got out of the vault. We played terrible. Um, and it was just a day to forget, really. I watched it, Sean. I, I was there, obviously, with my family, just watching it as a fairly still new member. And it, it was, it was, it was a disappointing game because we were, we had a good team, didn't we? And we yeah. were so much, so much better. But I think it was a fairly dour, nothing really to remember from, uh, yeah. from my thoughts. Watching it back on YouTube, it's um, it's quite clear that the commentators surprised that York take the lead, and then he's even more surprised that York win on penalties. So I think what you said there, Sean, about being favourites was probably the feeling at the time. What stuck out to me though was Crew got a penalty in the 120th minute to equalise to make it one-one, and a fullback stepped up, and he wasn't wearing number three; he was wearing number two. So mm-hmm. uh, how long did it take to you to convince them that you were penalty taker? Well, it was actually after after that game because. It was after that again that Dave McKenna Dave McKenna was always the penalty sick when 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 we arrived or when I arrived. Um but it was after after that game and the penalty shootout that Dave left. Um and it was just the first penalty that, we, that came the following season. It was Dario that that nominated me as being the penalty taker moving forward, which I was happy to carry on. Did um, did you take a penalty in the shootout, Sean, at York, yes. against York? I can't remember. I know yeah. McKerney took one. Obviously, Wally missed. 
Um, I think I took, uh, Dave took one, I think Ash Ward took one. Tony Naylor? No, because we got beat 5-3, I think, if I can remember right. Uh, Dave McKerney. I think Ash it was Ward four, took, and then they went first, and then we never took our fifth because we were already lost well, so, by that so point. So it 5-3, so it was, there was Dave McKerney, Ash Ward, myself. And Wally. And Gareth, Gareth, Gareth Wally. And then they obviously took the fifth one to make it 5-3. What was the uh, the feeling then after that game? Because obviously Gareth Wally was only a young lad then, wasn't he? Making his way through into the team. How yeah. how did he take it? How did the team take it? Uh, I think we were more disappointed with the way that we played, to be fair. Um, that was the feeling I got. Like you say, it was running things after the euphoria, the semi-final and, and hammering Walsall. Um, to then go to the final, not play well. Uh, get beat like we did it, it wasn't so much you know that we got beat we still didn't put any blame on Gareth but the, the main feeling was that we didn't do ourselves justice that was that was the main feeling I got from it from from memory I think we we did murder Walsall we put yeah. five past them at their place out of the four teams in the, in the playoffs I think they were probably the, the strongest team as well out of the four at the time so to put them aside, I think, yeah, I can see why everyone thought we would turn York over. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 to me, it mirrored '97 as well, where there's Walsh over the fan with the side that Luton. Fans. Um, and we hammered them. If you go on to '97, it was Luton that everyone thought that it was a given that they were going to get to the final and win. I mean, just before then, few. Well, a few months before, they'd hammered us at their place, said Luton. Um, we'll get on to so, that, Sean, because you had quite an interesting day that day, didn't you? The uh, the game away at Luton in the league. I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, look, it would, it, it was, the thing I can remember about that, I mean, I thought I put in a perfectly good tackle, to be fair, but the thing <laughs> I can remember mostly about that is that. By the time I got to the dressing room, I can remember the bath being the biggest bath that you've ever seen. <laughs> and it was full, it was full to brim. And it was boiling hot. And I could just remember getting obviously I was disappointed, but I can remember getting in. But then two minutes after Billy Bar came in, because he made a substitution, brought Billy off. Um, so I can just remember just both being sat in the, in the biggest bath that you've ever seen. Just obviously slagging everybody off and <laughs> And then, uh, then Ashley Westwood joined you a few minutes, well, 50 minutes or so yeah. later. Yeah. Like I say, yeah. it, it was a day to forget, and it was something where, from then, obviously when we drew them in the, in the semi-final, nobody really gives a chance. The, um, the Warsaw game I discovered this week is the highest aggregate score in a playoff tie. I think it was 9-3 on aggregate to crew, yeah. and that's yeah. never been beaten in a playoff tie so far. Right, let's move on then. So, one first year semi-final defeat in the playoff. Second year playoff final defeat on penalties. Third year went a little bit different though, didn't it, guys? That was the year that we went up at Chester, didn't we? Yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, to me, we'd already... The momentum had been building. Like you say, we had a good side. Um... So I think it was just one of them where we just 
and that's how I felt that whole period, like you said about the consecutive seasons. It was just more or less a momentum that get, just gets going on and on each season. Um, but I think it was, if you look back, I think it's one of them where you look at the side and, and, and I think we were extremely lucky to have the side that we had when you look at the strength in the side and what, what the players that are going on to do. Um, I can't really remember. I can remember, I can remember the Chester game and... Uh, I can remember a lean Chris Lightfoot scored for them because there was a time where everyone was, or the rumour was that Dario that, at that point was trying to sign him. Um, but I can remember speaking to Chris that day because I did that Leeds were trying to sign him as well. So, but yeah, that was before he started to uh, expand, shall we say. <laughs> So harsh. <laughs> I, I think the the big thing about that season was was what everybody thinks. The fans will think it's great getting in the playoffs and going, you know, going up via Wembley. But actually, as a player, it just extends your season. So it was vital. It was vital for us that we that we actually went up automatic for a change because we'd already had uh, two flirts with the uh, you know with the playoffs and playoff final. And it's a, it's a much nicer feeling going up automatic um, because you, it's just that uncertainty. If you go to Wembley, listen, if you could write it, yeah, I think 97 was great. It was, we had a perfect time, but really, you know, to take that uncertainty out, just go up automatic. And I think, I remember Ashy's goal. It was some goal, wasn't it? It was a strike. Mm. Uh, and I think it was probably, I think we fancied ourselves to, to go up anyway. So it was really just ticking a box and getting it done out of the way. Yeah, I think one of them, I think if you ask any fan, then yeah, the playoffs is the way that they want to do it because they get the day out and it's it's brilliant for them. But if you ask any player, they'd rather want to stay as much as they can away from the players and get it done yeah. um, in normal time. Yeah, so that day at Chester then, about half the stadium, is that fair to say, full of crew fans? I can certainly remember the behind the goal and then going down the far end. Uh, so yeah, it was. I mean, it was it was good. I can remember after the game going back onto the pitch. Um, I can remember obviously the celebration within the dressing room. So it was yeah, it was a good day. What about the night time? Well, it's strange because obviously a crew is a. Is a team at that time and probably not so much now but everybody lived there weren't, there weren't many of them that lived in Krug so and in my experience from when me and Steve were there it was something that it was very rare that the club put on I mean that was something that I thought was disappointing after the 97 that the club never did anything in to celebrate in that way so it wasn't after that, we celebrated after the game, celebrating in the dressing rooms, and it was everyone in the car and driving off to wherever they lived. Yeah, we, I, I agree with that, Sean. It was like we needed a social entertainer, uh, someone who could actually, you know, get it sorted out. But you, you're right, it was the biggest disappointment. It was like 97 was absolute elation. And then everyone just went, and it was like, is that, is that it? I mean, I stayed over, but I was with me. My, my wife, my mum and dad, and it was like, 
no disrespect to them, but it wasn't how I wanted to spend the night. <laughs> I can remember after the, after the game, um, obviously we all went our separate ways, and I think it was uh, about a week later that a few of us went to Spain for the week, but the first group of lads that we bumped into were a few of the Brentford players. And uh, I think they, after the game, after the game, even though they got beat, they, they stayed in the or the Wembley Hilton, I think, and they put on like a bit of a do, even though they lost. And then a few of them went out, and they couldn't believe that. Obviously, after the game, we just—it was just like an normal game. We finished, and I think if I can remember rightly, we came. I, I brought Billy Bar home. I got the people that were giving us a lift brought Billy Bar home, and that was it. And like Steve said, it's the thing where after after that game. It, you just wanted to celebrate a little bit, but it, it was just it, everyone broke up when they're on separate ways, and it was a little bit disappointing in the end. Do you think mm. that's um, come from Dario? Because you said before the the playoff final against York, he tried to treat it like a game. Do you think it was just purely about the results, and then we'll move on to the next game? That's it. You know, there's no real celebration. I don't. I don't think it was. Uh, it was ever high on on Dario's agenda. I think he just thought, yeah, it was all purely professional play. But I think certainly now, if I look back, I think it's huge. We we did have a strong unit. We had a good bond in the dressing room. And anything we actually did, we had to do it ourselves, um, to which we did to good effect in Ireland, to be fair. But I think we learned, we learned our lesson. You know, we thought, well, we're going to have to, if we're going to do something, we're going to arrange it ourselves. Because for us, it didn't detract from being professional on the field. In fact, it probably... It had a bit of cohesion and, and got us a bit more bonded, I think. Um, there is actually a video on YouTube of that Chester game. And um, you're right with um, the Ashley Ward goal. It is some goal to search out uh, if you haven't seen it, if you're a little bit too young to know the goal we're talking about. Also, Tony Naylor scored a free kick that game as well. Uh, a cracking yeah. free kick. I can't remember that. I think I you were stood next to him, Sean. Again, not allowed to take it. But, uh... um, but then again, having said about like the, the after the game, there is, and I noticed at the end, there's you, Sean, you're in the dressing room, you've got your top off, you're trying to get into a bottle of champagne. So there's obviously some drinks going on that day. So in was, the... was that free? <laughs> I'd be surprised if he'd nipped out and got it after the game with his, uh, like I say, just in his shorts. Yeah, he wouldn't have got it because you'd have to pay for it, Sean. You don't do that, do you? No, no. <laughs> so next season then, let's move on 94-95. Now, uh, again, sorry to bring up my age, but I was 10 when this season finished. Uh, this was, for me, the first time that I felt that football wasn't fair. Because when I was eight, during the York game, playoff final, you sort of wash over you, don't it? But 10 years old, I was at Gresty Road for that Bristol Rovers game. Uh, extra time of the playoff semis. Darren Rowbottom scored, and we go out on uh, away goals at the end of the game. No penalty shootout, nothing. And I remember saying to my dad, but when are we playing again? And he just couldn't explain to me that was it. The season was over. It didn't take long to settle to league or Division Two football then, I believe it was called. No, I think, like you said, I think it was just something where you build up a momentum, you get used to winning, and you see it a lot where teams go up, and then the next year, it's as if 
there's a momentum going through the club and they just keep going and that was certainly the case of, of that year or, or them, them years that we did it. You get into that habit of winning um, and it, it takes a lot of stopping. I think also, I think Dario has to take a bit of credit for the fact of Dario and the way, the philosophy of the club because he did have a, a you know, a habit of just unearthing a gem from the academy, young lads, you know, and just blending it and always wanted to play football, always wanted to play the right way. And I think with the mix that he had, I think it, it just lent itself perfectly to people think you have to kick your way out of the lower leagues and that's, that's not always the case. And I think he stuck by his, you know, by his philosophy, didn't change it. Uh, and just, I think it paid off in the end, paid dividends because even now everyone talks about crew. Um, we went over with our Fleetwood under-16s and played crew. And they're still, you'd have recognised them, Sean. It was unbelievable. It was just like watching, like watching us, if you like. They've, they've stayed with this sort of mould. So I think the fact that we'd always stayed and we always knew what our own identity was, I think served us well in, in the leagues as we came up them, really. Speaking of the current team, then, obviously, Steve, in your current job um, at Fleetwood, do, you get, do the two of you get to see crew much these days? Is there much interest to see what's going on at the club now? Or has it all sort of moved on from your time? As... No, no, not really. I mean, um, at that game that I spoke about, I spoke to Dave, Dave Artell and Kenny Lunt, um, you know, talking about the league that, that they're in now. And it's, it's very similar, apart from they don't sell a player for a million pounds every year now which obviously used to, uh, used to be quite a frequent thing. It was just unfortunate that me and Sean never got sold at any year, did we, Sean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was there ever any, I don't know, was there ever any interest in you two, like, from bigger clubs? That's an interesting question, that, Steve. Um, we, uh, we, we were never really in a position where Dario would tell us, I think. Um, there was lots of rumours, uh, I'm sure, well, I know that rumours about the both of us. And it was only really at my um, the testimonial. And I think it was my dad asked him, was there ever any interest to Steve? He went, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't right for him. So it was like, okay, it would have been nice to have been told, mind. But, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things. I look back and you could always have regrets and say, what if? But in reality, me and Sean have spoken, haven't we, Sean, since and we had we had a great ten years. It, it was it was a good set of lads. The fans were great, and it was it was a nice warm club, you know. And you know, I certainly look back with a lot of fondness over my years. Yeah, the same the same thing. Um, like you say, you never know. He never told you. There was only one time when I asked him was that we'd finished the current week season. Or we, I think we'd already gone up in the championship, um, and I'd gone on holiday. And it, while we were there, that I rung home and spoke to my dad. And uh, obviously, with coming from Leeds, he'd read in the paper, right? he'd been in the papers that Bradford had made an offer and they were waiting for me to get back from Aldi to discuss personal terms. And it was something, you know, out of the blue for me, I never heard anything. Um, but then we came back from Aldi and still never heard anything. And we came back in for pre season. And uh, Dario never said anything, so it was one. It was still in the local papers around here. So it was one of the, in the end that I, I spoke to and asked him, and it was just a matter of fact. So yeah, they have, but you're not for sale. So 
And, that's it. and at that time, you, you, you didn't say anything. You just got on with it. It wasn't... You know, you couldn't. You, the one at the time then when you went on strike or sulked, it was just a matter of fact where you said, no, yes, they have made nothing, but you're not for sale, so just carry on doing what you're doing. And that's that's sure that that's surely though that has got to be. I know I'm I'm defending us, but that's got to be the right stance, hasn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, you, you look at players now and they'll say, oh, Real Madrid is coming for me. I'm not playing. I'm injured, and you just think, come on. And, and how much of that is agents? I'm sure it's a big, big proportion because. Yeah, and you look at our time there, and, and that's why it'll be so different to now. The agency, he wouldn't at that point. Daddy wouldn't speak to agents. So he, he wouldn't. There's no way that he'd entertain speaking to an agent. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, that was just the time there. It was. It was. It were a different time, mm. and it was something that at the time that you know the clubs they held all the aces, and it, and it wasn't. You couldn't really want the thing to do to sulk and, and say, right, that's it, I'm going on strike. Um, but like Steve said, it's something you look back when you finish playing and there's nothing that happened that I've got any regrets over. You know, we had great times down there, so it's not something that, you know, even, even to that point, you look back at that incident and it's something that I don't look back on and think, you know, I wish I'd have gone there, I wish I'd done that. It was a case of, it wasn't an option, so you get on with it. My, my my parents have still kept the cutting out of a telegraph saying that I was going to Forest for a million pounds. And I actually, <laughs> I actually said, I said, throw it away, I said, because it's not happened. I'm yeah. not one, I don't like living in the past, me. And it's like, you know, you think, well, what if? But if you said what if all the time, you'd be one frustrated character, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Would. It's, um, it's definitely a good podcast for you, then, Steve. If you don't like living yeah. in the past, this one. <laughs> no, I don't mind. I don't mind reminiscing. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ninety-five, ninety-six. Um, another playoff appearance. I don't know why this season just doesn't seem to stick in my mind so much. I was going through it, and I have a vague recollection of losing to Notts County in the semi-finals. But there's not a lot about this season that seems to have, I don't know if I was you know I was 11 I was off seeing the world or something that season I don't know uh, but I don't seem to remember much what what do you remember about the 95-96 season I remember the playoffs do you remember the playoffs Sean the, the other game was Blackpool and uh, Bradford was it yeah uh, and and for some reason Dario had a strange thought of help me here Sean did Rido played Blair from we all played up front, and our our remit was we just had to knock massive long diagonal balls, which yeah. is completely against our we total contradiction of what I've just said, uh, and it was really really successful. Not unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, at the time, I can remember years after when I were all Colin uh, Colin Murphy were one of the coaches there, and he was the manager not County at the time. Yeah. Um, and he says about the game where they prepared, you know, all, all week for this, the crew way of playing and how we were going to play. And, and he said they just couldn't believe the first five minutes, everything that we'd, we'd worked on, everything that we'd all, the philosophy that you've got, you know, crew, went out of the window. And that was the only game where I can remember Dario saying, look, forget about, forget about anything. You get a ball, you just kick it as far as you can up yeah. the field and we'll just yeah. pick up the pieces. 
And that was the only time I can ever remember that happening. And we, it must have been the worst game in the world to watch because it, it, it felt crap on the pitch. I don't know about you. <laughs> that was our last playoff defeat because the next one we've yeah. got a success story. The 96-97 season. Had you guys had enough of playoffs by the time that season came around? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we were saying before, it's a thing where for playoffs, players, yeah, if you win, it's great, but players don't want to get through to the playoffs. They want to get it done and get off on their oldies as quick as they can. So yeah. nobody enjoys going into the playoffs. That, that season as well, I can't remember. Stu, you'll probably give me the stats on this, but I'm sure Luton were a, an unbelievable amount of points ahead of us. Uh, we finished fourth, didn't we, to play the second... Well, the top of the playoff list was Luton, who were unlucky not to go straight up, I believe. And we were, we'd kind of got in via the back door. Oh, we had to, we had to draw. We had to win. Yeah. Because yeah. I can remember that game there, uh, the York the, the game. He took Sav for half time. I remember. That was the last of Sav, wasn't it? Huh? Never saw him again. I was going to ask you about that. Because, yeah, the, so I've got the table in front of me, Steve. Luton finished third with 78, Crew 73 in sixth, uh, but four ahead of Blackpool. But obviously they did need that result at York, or you needed that result at York. The midfield on that final day at York was Danny Murphy, Robbie Savage, um, Seth Johnson and Gareth Wally. That's not bad, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Absolutely not. Um, can you shed some light on why Robbie Savage was never seen again after that York game? Well, Sean, I'll let, I'll let, the, let you have this one. Well, I, I, think, I think at the time he'd been, he'd obviously, he was in about the Wales squad and I think he was obviously... At that time, doing he was doing well, but it was I think it was always angling for him or looking as if there were people interested. And I think it was just one of them things. I don't know what happened, but he took him off at half time. Uh, I know that he rang his dad in the dressing room to come and pick him up. And then, and then, like we say, we never saw him again. We never saw him, you know, Wembley or preparing for Wembley. That was the last time that we, uh, as a crew player we ever saw him. Never, never heard of him or seen of him since. I don't think he's done very well with his... Uh, he's a real drinking violet, isn't he? <laughs> did, he, did he not turn up to training and not even for the playoff matches? No, did he just not? No. no. You know what, though, guys? I've got to say, in defence of South, he didn't... I don't think he did fill himself with glory there. But I thought he was a top lad. He, he is misunderstood a lot of the time. He's, he, he was... When he first came to crew, he was a, like an emotional wreck, Sean, wasn't yeah. he? I remember in Ireland... Remember you bullying, bullying him in yeah, Ireland over his girlfriend? He had a real lack of confidence. Yeah. And during games, if something didn't go right, you could see that he'd really play on his mind and the slightest little thing. And and it was, it would, I mean, obviously you look at him later and it's the same, but he was very emotional in the way he acted. But mm. it was very in an unconfident way at that point. He was the first person. I ever saw wearing coloured football boots. And I, and I couldn't believe it. That doesn't surprise me. If you were to ask me to guess, I'd probably say Savage fairly quickly, I think. I always remember as well, you used to get marks in the, the Daily Star and the Sun. And it was like a laughing joke with footballers because 
half the time, I'm sure that whoever marked that didn't go to the game. But I know Graham used to have a big input, didn't he, Graham McGarry? And he used to phone Graham up and say, I, I was worth a seven, wasn't I, today? Or worth, do you think I was an eight? Maybe an eight. And it was like, Sav, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I think I got marked four out of ten once, and I was really upset only on this one time because I didn't even play. <laughs> Still got a mark. Unbelievable. You've done well to get four then, Steve. Well, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. It's one of my better marks. <laughs> um, I'll tell you a rumour I heard from a fan's perspective about his disappearance. He'd had a bust-up with Dario, and during the argument, um, he said, well, I don't want to play for Crew anymore because I'm going to move to Malmo. I don't know if that was something that was reality or that was just one of those tales that gets passed around the uh, the supporters. Looks Swedish, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Alexei, I can't, I can't remember too much. He wasn't happy about getting... Dario didn't think that he'd, he'd played right. He was making his change at half-time. Uh, Sav didn't agree with it. I certainly can't remember him saying that he was never going to not play again or never going to turn up, but it was just one of them things where, one of, one of them strange things, like I said, that we never saw him again after that. Well, I was going to say, his fallout, when you look back at it, is, I think he did get, he got took off, obviously, it had to do with Dario, but when you look at the midfield players that were left on the pitch, Stu, you, you haven't got a lot really to argue with. With the likes of Gaz Wally, Danny Murphy, Seth Johnson, all top players. Phil, Phil as well, wasn't it? Phil yeah, Phil it? Charnock was there yeah. as well. Yeah, another top player. Hmm. So, um, on to the playoffs then. And um, you've mentioned before we had Luton in the uh, semi-finals, who finished third with his crew snuck in in sixth. Um, we've talked already with the game Sean got sent off in that season away, where crew lost 6-0. Um, so... Was that on your minds going into that playoff semi-final? No, not that I can remember. It was uh, we got, we prepared for it the same as we were any other game. I mean, that was one of the good things about Dario is his preparation of, of who you were playing was meticulous, and it was. I think you look back at the London game and uh, in the league, it was certainly a, a free game. They took sendings off. Um, but it was something where, I mean, they were clear favourites. But I think also it was one of them, like Steve said before, they just missed out on promotion. Um, so we knew that if we got them, they, they would have probably a, a bit of a lack of confidence anyway. We're just missing out, missing out because it's, it's always one of the worst things to do. That you just miss out, miss out on promotion. But you've got to then pick yourself up and, and you know, play, get yourself ready for the playoffs. Um, but I don't think there was any, you know, lack of confidence in that part. You think that's? Um, I think it's sort of something that you tend to see with teams is the team that's kind of come in and snuck into that last spot tend to be on a sort of a bit of a roll almost. Did you think you, that was what it, what it you was? You used the word. You're dead right there, and it's like momentum. So your momentum into the actual playoffs is huge, and I think they had they had the vibe of disappointment. And we had the vibe of, do you know what? We've been in this situation before. Let's just let's just give it a go. And I think it it paid off in the end. And then obviously that's that first game at home at Gresty Road, two um, one win. My personal uh, recollection of that game was I decided I couldn't stand Luton fans because they were in the old, what is now the Gresty Road end for home fans. I was in the old wooden stand, quite close to them. 
and they spent the entire game singing, you only support Man or you really support Man U. Um, now, growing up as a crew fan, I went to Holmes Chapel School where all my mates were Man United fans and I had to constantly defend my position as a crew fan. I could not stand the idea of someone saying I was a Man United fan. So from that point on, never liked Luton. So it was especially sweet because we came from behind in that game, didn't we? They scored fairly early on. Yeah. There's no doubt that they had a, they had a really good side. They were a strong side. Um, and even, I think even going to their place, it was one that we, we were up against it. But, you know, we, all, we, we always backed ourselves against anybody, really. So, uh, but yeah, at that point, if, if I can remember they were a strong side. And I think they, I had the thing where that was probably one of the best things happened because they got the first goal and I think they felt that it was virtually job done from that point. And I think they got a bit of a shock, really. And then, uh, yeah, some very familiar names on the score sheet that day. Mark Rivers, Colin Little. We've not really mentioned either of them yet. How important were those two guys for the team at that point? I think they were huge. I think they were huge in terms of goal scorers. I mean, Colin Little is the most natural goal scorer I think I've I probably played with. Um, he could score with his left foot, his right foot, head, back heel, cheeky flick. He had an absolute repertoire of, of, of finishes. And that was like, he used to do that daily, didn't he, Sean? He was a... Yeah, it was, was one of them where, where they say he had a knack of being in the right place at the right time. Never panicked. Kills a cucumber all the way through. And, but them two especially could get pillars off Dario. I can remember they, if they weren't... They, they might, sometimes they might not be playing that bad, but he could give them to, you know, pillars if they weren't. But they kept but both of them. Both of them had a great eye for goal. Yeah, uh, like you say, Cole. It was one of them. He had a knack of always being in the right place at the right time, and he, and he wasn't a natural finisher. It's, it's not a not a surprise, I suppose, that his role now is he works at United, Man United, and he's he's got a niche of he just takes the forwards, and he's like you know he just develops the forwards under 18s, 19s, 20s, you know. So that's that's some job that he's got there. And, and, you know, we're talking about Carl Rivo also. Rivo chipped in with some unbelievable goals. Um, a, lot, a lot of good memories of Rivo's goals. With, I'm always interested, you know, does, does Colin go to work with his Man City tattoo covered up when he goes into work these days? <laughs> no, I saw him the other week. We, we, we played United. He had a mask on, to be fair to him, but his uh, Man City tattoo was still there. <laughs> And then uh, moving back to the playoffs then, the away game uh, down at their place, similar to the first game in that they scored, but they actually scored twice, didn't they, that day? So it looked like it was going to be another playoff heartbreak for Crew at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think on, the main thing for that game was that they, if I can remember right, they scored, but then we scored straight afterwards, which gave us a lift. Uh, and then I know they went to we up. Uh, but that was the main thing because they were they were obviously saying that they their whole thing they need to if they scored early they thought or everyone thought they would win but for them for them to score and they just score straight from the kickoff I think was massive in that game I think yeah they went two 0 up and then again Colin Little scored so it was thirty one and then Crew scored thirty two and yeah. then uh, so it's two one from the home game two one to Luton in the away game and then sixty second minute. Sean, do you want to take us through what happened? 
I can just remember a powerful rifle shot. <laughs> Probably nestling, nestling in top corner, if I can remember right. You can't be talking about yourself and your right foot there, Sean. Surely not. <laughs> no, but actually, that's the only goal I've ever... Or the, I think that's the only time I've ever kicked it with my right foot, never mind scored with it. <laughs> but I'm sure Macker will take some credit for it at some point. He'll say we're all done. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you have that one, Sean. Well done. Brilliant. In fact, I, I don't even think they reached back at net, to be fair. I think it, it stopped. <laughs> it only just got over the line before it stopped. Um, so that was enough then. That got us back to Wembley, that goal. But I don't think crew fans will forgive me if we're about to talk about Brentford in that season before we talk about the game at Griffin Park. Uh, the goal that started the song. It was just... It was just one of them things. That I, it was something, obviously, that wasn't planned. Um, and it wasn't something that we'd seen before. And it was just as... It, it was it was a perfect thing where we got the free kick, the ball finished up, which very rarely happens, but the ball finished up, stopped dead where the free kick was. And I was, if I can remember right, I was walking up towards it. And it was just one of the things where I could see where Kevin was you know, on the edge of the bottom. He wasn't the most mobile of keepers, if I can remember right. Um, but it just, it was something that, it just happened on the day. It was something that I didn't have think of beforehand. It was just that split second before as I was walking up that all that I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. I'm going to take over here, Sean, because I'm, I'm not having that. I'm not having <laughs> I've, I've given him years of grief from this. But I have to say, I've watched it back loads of times. And it is some strike, by the way. And that isn't a small pitch either, Griffin Park. And, and yeah, he might not have been so mobile, but still, to, to strike from there, it was, it was some goal, that. So I've, I've got to give him a bit of credit. First time I've ever given him that much credit. So <laughs> I think I better come clean, Sean. It was a decent strike, mate. Yeah, the power, for, like you say, he just, just walked up to it and the power to hit it half the length of the pitch to lob the keeper. Impressive stuff. Right, so as I've just said about 15 minutes ago, I didn't make it to Wembley, still waiting to tick that off. as a, I have seen crew win the JPT at Wembley, but that's not quite the same. Um, so I'm going to stop. Uh, I feel like all four, were you all four of you at Wembley that day? Yep. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't missed a Wembley trip. So I missed so, the train on the way back from 93 because we took it to penalties. So I'm, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you guys uh, talk us through that day. Shoot, in, in fear of letting it drag for too long, we can't go to Wembley without going to the day before because it was all about the preparation. And I'm sure that it had an impact on the actual day, Sean. Would you agree? Uh, but the only thing, I, I, I don't remember much. The only thing I remember was the day before and then after the game. That's the only thing I can remember. With the only... Only ever League One side, we're talking about preparation here. So we go and we do set plays on a field, a random field in London. We didn't know where it was. John Fleet, God rest his soul, forgot to bring the footballs. So we did, we did a set play routine. This is the God's honest truth. We put two jumpers down, but we only had one jumper. So we used Gerald. Still, Gerald, he's still there, Gerald. I threw the other week. <laughs> Gerald had to stand still as one post and we had a jumper as another post and we had, I think it was Kenny Lunt, was it, or Gaswally taking a, a corner 
Rivo took the corners. Was it Rivo? Sorry, Rivo took the corner with no ball, by the way. So he had to pretend to do that, and we had to do our movement, our runs into the box. And Dario, I think, told me off for for, for yeah. not timing my run right. We got no <laughs> ball. We had zero <laughs> ball. We had to retake we it because we're not <laughs> <laughs> We had to run through and avoid the dog muck that was on the floor there. But it was such a laughable event. It was kind of like, this could only happen to us, this at crew. And in a way, that was a, the perfect pre-match build-up you could have had because, you know, in the hotel as well, didn't we? Uh, we had a game of killer, didn't we, on the pool table? Everyone sort of was together. And I think that had a massive impact on the day, that. And it also um, set, like, Mike Bassett, you know, that's the idea of that movie, uh, Mike Bassett, as well, where they're in Brazil with no footballs pretending as well. So who knew that came from crew before the playoff final? (laughs) The goal actually came from a corner. (laughs) (laughs) Was that that planned on the park then, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, possibly was, yeah. We thought that. We'll mess up from the corner, come out to Danny, cross, and the rest is history, Sean, isn't it? Certainly is. I was going to say... Dario wasn't sending any of you after some kid that was on the park as well to Nicky's ball. Well, that's it. I remember that while we were warming up, he tried. There were some. There were some kids that were playing. If I can remember right, in the park. Come off. And, a, and he ran towards them, trying to see if he could borrow the ball. <laughs> play with. But, the, but he did not. He had no luck. Everyone, as soon as he went, everyone just told him where to go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this just, is basically just the movie now, guys. This is what happens. <laughs> just like Steve says, good to see that, you know, it's all on the training ground, exactly how they drew it up for the corner, yeah. for the goal. Um, yeah, so we have got the assister and the goal scorer for Cruz goal that day. Um, talk us through it, guys. Like I say, the actual game, I don't remember that much. All I can remember, really, honestly, from that game was the second half. I can remember it was the easiest, one of the easiest second half. And I can remember me and Steve were having quite a bit of a laugh because it was, it was that easy. We were, we were, you know, talking together and, and having a bit of a giggle while we were playing. But the actual, the actual game, I can't really remember that much about it. I seem to remember we didn't start great. They started no. okay. Uh, the first 10, 15 minutes, we had a couple of wobbles, I think. But it was, I've got to say, it seemed to be the most one-sided 1-0 I've ever been involved in. You know, 1-0, you're on, you're on thin ice. It's the delicate scoreline. But it never felt that way. No. Been, one thing I can remember was the second half. We were, I mean, we were that much on top, on top and we had chances. But I can remember, all I can remember thinking was is that I didn't want us to score another. Because I wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> I wanted us to win one nil and me score the goals. I can remember when, when I think it was called Little that hit the crossbar, and I can remember I was thinking, Christ, thank God for that. <laughs> we had about three cleared off the line as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sean cleared two of them himself off the line. Um, so yeah, I mean, you mentioned before that like the atmosphere wasn't particularly great. Was this the game you were talking about where you just drove home, Sean? Yeah, it was, I mean, it's something where I look back, the, the, the thing that, like I said, the two things I remember was the day before and then afterwards, we'd celebrated on the pitch like you do and then we got back to the dressing room 
And if Steve can remember, there were like a bar area in the corner of the changing rooms. Wembley, yeah, do you? Yeah, somebody from Wembley that was like a barman. So we got back and obviously everyone was on cloud nine and we're having a drink. But I remember we just got back into the changing rooms and they came in and, it, and the press wanted to speak to myself and Dario. So we, I left to go then somebody took, I read me full kit and somebody took us into like the press room. So I'd missed, everyone was still in the changing rooms at that point. And I can remember the, the press conferences went on for ages. And all I wanted to do was get back to the dressing room. By the time we finished, I got back down there. Nobody else was there. There was only Fleety cleaning up the kit. Looking for footballs. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but my memory afterwards that there was just, I got a drink from the bar and because Fleety never drank. But I can just remember me and Fleety sat for 20 minutes, half an hour, just having a chat after the game because everyone else had gone and then we met up in the bar, but then after that, everyone just went their, their own separate way. And it, to, that's, to me, still a little bit disappointing that we couldn't at least organise something after the game. I think if, we, if we'd have had our time again, you know, you didn't want to sort of like tempt fate, but we'd have probably organised something. You know, but it would have been ourselves that did it. I don't think we had a massive thing at crew either. There was no open top bus ride or anything like that. So... We, we probably let ourselves down a little bit there, but uh, it was still, I mean, it still goes back as the best, the best footballing day of my life. It was uh, great memories. Into the championship then, or Division One, as it was known then, um, was there a feeling amongst the squad that you were good enough to be in that league? What was the feeling going into that, you know, first season ever for crew at that level? Not sure. Uh, I, was in, I was injured for most of it, so it's over to you again, Liz. Uh, I think at the time it was just something where it, it was, I think it were a bit of a novelty and it was something where it was, there was no pressure on us. Everyone expected us to come straight back down. Uh, and it was just a, a case of really see where we go. But I think one thing that, that did help us at, at that time was that we were still seen on as being little old crew. And you got these, there were some big teams, which are these now in the championship. But a lot of the big teams, when you played them, they that I got the feeling that they didn't feel that we were worthy to be playing. That's the feeling I got, and a lot of teams I felt thought that they could come and they wouldn't have to do any preparation on us. We could play how they could play how they wanted and they still win. Which obviously, the higher up you go and the more football you play, that play that allowed us to play the kind of football that that I think we wanted to play and. and I think that was a good thing. I think a lot of people just expected us to be an easy target and just to roll over. Yeah, it took a bit of a time to sort of get accustomed. There's quite a lot of defeats um, to start off with the season, but there's obviously one game in December that year that most crew fans remember, going down the A500 to our nearest and dearest local rival, Stoke. Um, how good a result was that? Because, uh, Sean, there was some familiar names on the score sheet that day as well, wasn't it? It's uh, C. Little and S. Smith that day. Yeah. It, obviously, it's them, them kind of games, they're massive games and you play local rivals. And, and it, was, it was, certainly was a thing where, at that point, like many of the teams, they thought they were a lot better. Um, 
But yeah, there was some we had some good good days at some big clubs, but certainly from that season that'll stand in my in my memory, obviously, for the for the goal as well. So I was, obviously I was at school at the time. My um, German teacher, Mr. North, I think he listens. Hello, Mr. North, if you are listening. He had the, uh, the clipping of that result from the paper on his classroom wall from that day until, I think he had it forever until like he retired several years later. Um, he definitely had it when I left school uh, still on his wall. So it was obviously a big moment for him and lots of other crew fans um, because, you know, we in many people's eyes, like you say, we were a little old crew. I think we were consistently favourites to go down every single season we were in the championship. Um, I think the other highlight that year was the Bradford game close to the end of the season. Um, do you remember much about that one? The 5-0? Is that all? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris, I think Kamara was manager for Bradford, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, I can remember at one point, because I can remember when we played with their place, talking about Chris Kamara, the one, that's the one time where he came onto the pitch after the game because he, he spoke to Dealey and tried to convince him, shall we say, that he would he fancied him at Bradford. I'll always remember that when we played him there. But yeah, we had, like I said, we had some, we had some good days of some, against some big teams. Um, but then that, were another, that was towards the end of the season, wasn't it? Yeah, right towards the end. Uh, the next season then, um, a little bit closer to relegation that season. Um, my overriding memory of that season was Seth Johnson being the star of the show. How good had he become at, by that point? You know, Steve? Yeah, yes. Seth was, um, Seth was an interesting one because we used to do a bleep test quite regularly, Sean, didn't we? We used to obviously yeah. name, name your number. But it was, uh, you had to get to a recommended level. Seth was always the first to drop out. He was useless at it, really useless. And Dario used to say, you know, you're not, you're not fit. You need to do more. You need to do more. But actually, they, they during... They were the didn't they? Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But he was, he was the fittest player I've ever seen. He was like a Duracell bunny. He just kept <laughs> going. Uh, and he, and he, had a, he had a tackle in him. He had a goal in him. He could pass it. Um, he didn't overcomplicate things. He's not a deep thinker, is he? I don't think, uh, Seth. He just enjoyed life and just played footy. Uh, I think he was an integral part of uh, what we were about that year. In that season, it seems a bit weird that people we've got on at the minute, if you go back over crew, big crew goals, Sean and Steve have scored obviously a lot of them, but didn't, Steve, didn't you score at Ipswich with like two games to go to keep us up? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, I think we again we were favourites there to uh, to get relegated, and uh, obviously Ipswich away wasn't a, a fixture that we were really uh, rubbing our hands together with. Um, and I think it was um, Jermaine Wright. Did he get sent off? I think. Yeah. Someone did get sent off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he got sent off, and they had uh, they had a decent side. They had a good side. And I think myself and I think Rivo Rivo scored to make it one each. I think I can't remember. But I remember, I think it was your corner, was it, Sean? Yeah. Sean miscued the corner <laughs> again. Uh, <laughs> he was supposed to put it on the head. It wasn't the plan for, for a volley, to be honest. That wasn't usually how things panned out. But that was nice because that stopped tip switch going up and uh, stopped us going down. So, yeah, nice, nice memory there. Um, is that your best goal you scored for Crew, Steve, or is there another one that sticks out? 
I probably think my best goal was one that I got an absolute bollocking for off Dario. It was um, in the cup. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got I got shouted at saying like, Don't shoot from there, don't shoot. Dario liked his centre half to pass it to to the likes of Gaz Wally and, and Phil Charnock and, you know, Kenny Lump, the lads who could play to be fair. So I I decided I didn't really want to listen to him that time. So I still got a roast in at half time for it, but it was probably that one. I was um sorry to jump in, I was right behind that in the sort of the pop side as it was. And you see Carlos's goal in that tournament where it, it just bent. Yeah. That shut that goal against Hartlepool was like that, like an arrow outside the post, straight back in the top corner. Yeah. Pretty Classic. kind of you, Steve. <laughs> You're welcome. It's in the post. Oh, the flag there and then I took it. <laughs> yeah, I think that get that was the game where was it was it seven different scorers or something? Yeah, or I maybe, think it was, yeah. Right, yeah. Rivo yeah. scored, I think, on his debut as well, from yeah. memory. Yeah, Rivo scored some great goals along the way, didn't he? Great goals. He did. My favourite Mark Rivers goal since we won them was the one, I think it was the first season in Division 1 Championship, home to Reading, 1-0 win. It was um, the goalkeeper had got a back pass, tried to clear it. Rivo jumped in front of it, hit his arse, went into the goal, 1-0, won the game. <laughs> Brilliant. That's my favourite Mark Rivers goal. Uh, just because I didn't know at that time goals could be scored like that. That was the first time I'd ever seen a goal that was like that. They're the best sorts. <laughs> my, my, my first ever goal for crew hit me full, absolutely full on in the face at Cardiff away. In the, I think that was uh, right towards the end of the season. And I that went to... They all ran the pitch, one not after the game? It's when we got coined afterwards. The yeah. Cardiff fans <laughs> coined us. And, yeah. Yeah, some, who was it? Mark Gardner got punched. Yeah. Yeah. The bus window and everything, isn't it? Yeah, they're a friendly lot, them Cardiff lads. <laughs> yeah, had some lovely trips down to Ninian Park as a fan. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, the season we were competing with them to go up. Um, the year actually after you guys left, when we went back up with Dino and Rob Hulse up front, the away game there, it was, uh, it was an experience. Um, Sean, what was your favourite goal or your best goal? Obviously, favourite goal maybe the Wembley one, but what was your best one? Uh, I think the, the, if I were going to pick a best one, it would be the free kick at Gillingham, I think. The, uh, I can't remember what, what year it was. Um, but that was that was probably my best one that I scored. Okay. It, I'm, I'll have to look that one but up. Obviously, not a popular goal with everyone else. <laughs> I remember it, Sean. It was a good one again. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. I'm not sure I made it to Gillingham that year. I, I remember Sean took a penalty at Gillingham. But we're, we're probably best to talk about that. Just, no, I think, yeah. I think that ball's travelling somewhere across France at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> not the best one. Um, no. So we've talked about quite a lot of the players that you know you guys played with came through the academy. Um, also, players that didn't come through the academy who are great, like um, Savage. We haven't really talked about Deliadi Bowler. Um, how good is, was he? Was he the best striker, um, or were the others? Ashley Ward. You know, he played with Dean Ashton, Rob Hulse. Uh, well, I think if you look talent-wise, you've obviously got to say Dean. Or, um, but. Having said that, there were there were times or there was a spell really when Dealey was unplayable. You couldn't you couldn't get nowhere near him. Um, 
probably consistency wise, he didn't do it often enough. Uh, but general talent, you'd have to say Dino, but same again then for, for a target man. The best side player with Albert Crew was uh, Ash Ward because no matter what, you would you'd be able to lump a ball up towards him in any vicinity, vicinity and he could bring it down, bring somebody else into play. So as a target man, I would say him. But general talent is obviously Dino. Um, but then, like I say, Dealey, especially that period, when he first came in, I mean, Dealey with that size when he was 13, he would, he, he would unbelievable, but you couldn't get nowhere near him. But then for somebody so big, he, he was probably one of the worst heads of a ball I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> would you agree with that, Steve? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can go too far away from Dean Ashton. I, I remember the first time he came over as a kid. We were on a Friday morning doing shape. And I think somebody somebody got hurt and somebody called Dean Ashton over. And we'd heard of Dean, haven't we? John Fleet used to say he's a good kid. Good kid yeah, in the, we, yeah. we haven't seen much of him, have we? No, not a lot. Until somebody, he came up and someone fired a ball into him. And Dario was all about the first team, so it was all about us. And, and he took it, and he was, he was always a big lad. And he, he took it on his chest to the left side of me, turned around and absolutely spanked one in the top corner. And it was like, this lad's a bit different. He's just a, a, a level above. And he was a lovely, humble, humble lad. I mean, there's a story with Dean. When I left crew and I was working as a physio in the NHS, and I got a call out of the blue, and I didn't really stay in touch with Dean at all. And he phoned up and went, I am, it's Dean Ashton. And I went, and I'm thinking, is this Sean or someone? Is this someone messing around? And he asked, and he said, look, we've got the FA Cup final on Saturday. He goes, and my hamstring's hanging off. And the physios aren't great at West Ham. You know, what do you think I should do? I went, well, what are you saying? And he said, he went, well, I might not finish the game. I said, look, some top pros never play in the FA Cup final. Just play. Just play. And if you come off in the first two minutes, make it up that you did it then. And to be fair, it was the Liverpool one and he played in it and I thought he was superb. Uh, but the sort of mark of the lad is, he left me four tickets. He said, I'll leave you tickets on for, for that sort of advice. And that's the guy he is now. And he's still in touch, isn't he, Sean? Now he's, he's just a lovely lad. Uh, but his talent was unbelievable. While we're on uh, former players, we're sort of on that year. I believe that year that we just thought about was the year that Rodney Jack came in, who I think to this day is still Crew's record signing. Uh, he sort of always seemed like a bit of a character to everybody watching. What was your impressions of him playing with him? He was a woman where, similar but different to Dealey, where on his day, it was unplayable. It was, it was, it's certainly one of the fastest I've ever seen. Um, and it is, it could strike a ball with both feet like a rocket. Um, and it's, it's certainly one of the, one of the most talented that I've seen. Like I said, there were, there were time, but, Again, to me, he didn't do it often enough. He was, he probably let himself down that way. But when he first got, I think he, he scored against Oldham, I think it was, was his first. But he could do things in training and, and, and strike balls in training that he thought, Christ. And he, he was, I thought, I thought he was a really good player. Me, me and Sean have both just said Dean Ashton, which certainly I, I stick by. But I remember Dario. Dario used to say that Rodney Jack was the most technically gifted player he'd ever coached. That's so, some praise. Yeah, yeah definitely. 
Um, so whilst we're talking about Dario then, have you got um, a favourite Dario story? I feel like oh, Steve's sure. definitely got one. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a hundred. <laughs> oh dear. I got told at the Gillingham game that I'd never play for the club again because I, I had a spat with him at half-time over... I, I don't want to go into details because there's another player involved, but Sean knows he was sat next to me. But yeah, he, he, would, he asked them blind and went, you ain't ever going to play for this club ever again, which I thought was quite strange because I think it was on about 50 games. But it was half-time and he didn't take me off and I'm thinking, that's strange. So he's going to use me for the second half, but I'm never going to play for the club again. And kind of nothing was said about that. Um, <laughs> it was a strange one. Never too keen to remind him of it either. No. <laughs> was, it, was Dario, obviously we know what he, he can do coaching-wise, but was he one for the hairdryer? Never. No, no. I don't think. When you look at Dario with... He had the perfect foil in Neil Baker, where Neil Baker could give a hair dry. Whereas Dario, it was it was just a remark that he it was always one of them where if you if you went to see him or if you had a problem and you'd got it rehearsed in your head what you're going to say, but as soon as within the opening line, it would take away everything, every ammunition that you had that you're going to go back at him, and that's what that it wasn't hair dryer. It was just cutting remarks that were, or things that he would say that you just thought, I can't answer that. Or, I can't, I've got no comeback from that. He used to manipulate situations to, to his advantage, didn't he, Sean? I mean, every contract I ever signed, I came out thinking, flipping heck, I'm lucky to even be here. You know, he used to go in with all these ideas and come out with your tail between your legs thinking, I've done well there to get, to get what I've got. <laughs> um, yeah, he was clever, clever at that. There was, there was a time, Sean, remember in May News, Again, now, was it Maynooth? It was Ireland anyway. When we'd done really well pre-season in Ireland, we'd done well and we're on the last night and I was sat next to Neil Baker uh, and we decided we were going to go out for a few drinks in Ireland, in Dublin. Um, and Dario found out and, and he came in and... I you think, were in the hotel bar, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. And, and I'd asked him, I'd said something about, Dario, is it okay if we all go out for a few beers last night? You know, we've done well. And he went... Well, you better make your mind up whether you want to be a professional drinker or a professional footballer. <laughs> and, and then, then stormed out and went to bed. So we're like, we're thinking, what are we going to do here? And I, I think it was Neil Baker. Neil Baker said, Neil Baker, uh, you, "Who's round is it next?" Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made our mind up, didn't it? So, uh, yeah, we went out, had a good night. Um, I think what you said before, Sean, it sort of. I think every one of these uh, like episodes we've had with ex-players on has said exactly the same, that, uh, you know, Pete Morse, James Collins, Steve Jones, uh, and Colin Cran, they all said the same, that Neil Baker's the one that would tell you, give you a bollock in during half-time, but it's Dario is the one you don't want to upset because he's got that ability to just really deflate you with, like you say, one cutting comment. Um, yeah, you, you, just know, you couldn't go back, like Steve said, no matter when, no matter what you went to see him about, if you weren't happy or if he'd left you out or if he'd had to go, if you went, if you got, you'd rehearsed it, you got all your things there, right, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that, and you would, within a minute, that you, you would be thinking, you know, it's completely right here, I'm, you know, I didn't play well, and that's, that were it, whereas Neil, Neil, think we're, Neil were honest, uh, they were, the, to me, they were the perfect together because, 
everything that Dario didn't want to do, Neil would do. He'd give you the honest be Neil could give a bulk, you know. But Dario, it was more what he said, you know, he could he could kill you with just one sentence. Do you remember, Sean, the time when it was the old stand when we, we, we uh, used to change in the, the old changing rooms and there was a do between Neil Lennon and Mark Gale and yep. Bakes, had o- Bakes had only been there a couple of weeks. We didn't know this guy came from Leek, big Stoke fan, that's all we knew. Didn't really speak much. Put a couple of sessions on that we weren't massively, you know, enamoured with. And Neil Lennon and, and Mark Gale got up and started. Anyway, he got up and pinned them both to the wall. And pretty much gave him, gave him a, a, a few home truths. Dario was just stood there. And he kind of thought, this guy's not messing around. He's, he's, a, he's a handy guy, you know, and he, he means what he means. Uh, so I, I think like Sean said, he was always the guy who you could approach and speak to now. Um, you know, he was loyal, loyal with Dario, obviously, but you could go and say, bloody hell, I'm not happy with this, Neil, and that. And he'd pretty much say, just get on with it, lad. Um, what? Um... They were good... Well, sorry to interrupt, that's very rude of me. What was right, no. obviously as, as crew fans, like we just see Bakes as having a smoke outside for the game, loves the nail, tattoos all over him, hard as nails. But what was it actually like as a coach? Obviously, we know he dished out the bollockings and stuff like that, but what were his sessions like? Were he decent? Yeah, I think, yeah, he got, he got a lot better, didn't he, Sean? I can see you yeah. giggling away, Sean, there, because there was a time when Bakes used to have, have a tough job. He used to do sessions with the bomb squad. The lads yeah. who were involved in the team, which, do you know what? You could put Mourinho and Guardiola could do a joint session and they're not going to make the bomb squad happy. So there was a time when, um, I've got two thoughts. One is when Cole Little pretended to hang himself from a crossbar with his own wet top because he'd, he'd, he'd had an afternoon session with Bakes, which was harsh, but, but still a memorable one. But there was another one when, was it Mike Newell from Blackburn who'd won the Premier League? Yeah. He yeah, came on over for a bit, didn't he? Yeah, we're right, yeah. a bit. And Mike, Mike wasn't playing for some reason, and Bates did a full session with him taking the ball out of the line of the ball. And I'm thinking... Told him how to move. Yeah, and this guy's won the Premier League, you know, and you think <laughs> to yourself, well, I don't know. But yeah, he, listen, he wasn't just a big hard guy, Bakes. Bakes knew the game, uh, and he was great. He was great for crew, absolutely brilliant. And I think he's probably an unsung hero. Everyone gives Dario the plaudits, and... Neil was uh, was up there for me. When does Steve Holland come into this? And then do you have any idea that he's going to go on to have the career in coaching that he has had and he's still having from the start? I think Steve came in. He started taking the uh, the apprentice out in you know, under-18s or whatever. And you could see that it was very highly thought of and very highly spoke about. And you could see towards the end of our time there, that if there was going to be a, a, a natural successor as it were to Dario, that Steve would be the one. A lot of his sessions and a lot of the way he spoke and the way he acted was pretty much mirrored the way Dario did it. Um, so, yeah, that, I know from I know he, he finished playing at an early age, but I think from an early age, once he started coaching, it pretty much people said that, you know, he could go a long way in it. And I think the actual, when he took over, I don't know whether that was maybe a little bit too soon or a little bit of a too much of a of a jump for him. Um, but no, I think early on, he, he, he pretty, 
pretty much could see that a lot of the things he did was was very Dario like. Yeah, I remember him and Neil Baker taking over when Dario had surgery and it just didn't go very well, did it? And then obviously when he took over permanently, um, it wasn't the best, I don't think. I think as well, I mean, it was, a, I think crew at that point, they'd been spoiled by the the, the players that, and the teams that they'd had. And I think at the same time that Steve took over, they were going through, I think, that bit of a transition Um and there was always going to be a, a period where there was going to be a little bit of a lull. I think Steve brought, Steve took the, a lot of the blame for that, you know, at that time. Um, but obviously, he's, he's he hasn't really looked back, has he? No, he's done all right since. Yeah, you could tell. Like it's it's one of them things of uh, from the teams that we'd had. And obviously, following Dario, it is pretty much almost an impossible task for him. I think. It, it was, and no matter who took over at that point, uh, especially like they did promoting from within, and, and I know that since when they've gone with with uh, Thordis and that looked out, it's all that the best to me. The best way for crew to do is to promote really from within. Uh, but at that point, he had an impossible task. Taken over from the, from Dario, I feel. So you were a little bit hard done by. He was, he was always well well thought of as yeah. a, as being a, a a football person, a, a deep thinker, you know. And he was in the, in the Dario mould. I, I question whether whether he'd ever have been a number one anyway. Just Steve's character he was he was always known as a great coach, wasn't he? Yeah. But there was a lot of rumours at the time when he was in in charge. I don't think he really had the dressing room. There seems to be a lot of fighting with. People like O'Connor and Roberts and stuff like that. So I think you're right with the number one side of it. I think that's that's a, a key, that Steve, isn't it? Um, you see some great coaches, and you think the natural progression is to go and be a number one. And I think a lot, really, if they're truthful with themselves, unless they've got a character with them who can kind of like lend, you know, lend lend a hand, it isn't going to be the best place for them. Mm-hmm. Plus, I think at that point as well, the, the, the game had changed as well. Like we were saying earlier about agents and things, um, they were, they were, it, to me, were a lot more easier, really, or not easy, but to deal with players at our time because there were no agency involved and the, the, you know, the money wasn't as much. And it was, I think at that point, the game was in a transition period and everything, you know, people, everyone had an agent, no matter who they were, young kids or not. Um, so not just dealing with the players. One memory as well, Sean, and, and this is how I see it, and this is my criticism of young players now. Um, I think we managed our own dressing room a lot as well. We had a couple of, let's be right, we had a couple of dickheads come in, didn't we? Yeah. Who, who, who we sifted out as players. So it didn't have to go and, and a manager deal with the situation. If we thought somebody stepped out of line, it affected us. So because we were probably there for a while and, and saw ourselves as senior players, we dealt with the situation. Now, I, I feel that that's essential for a manager to have, to have at least two or three players who they can go to and say, look, sort that, get that sorted. Uh, and and that, that's a, a massive advantage if you've got a couple of players in your team who do that. Can I can I ask how the, the dressing room sort of evolved then from when because obviously you two boys come in with no disrespect but from places like Emily and, and Fleetwood were were you accepted in because at the time obviously when you signed I think Stuart Evans 
Lennon, Ward, obviously big characters. Were you accepted straight away into the changing room? And then how did, how did that sort of evolve in, into you becoming the leader? Yeah, I think we were. I, I think we were purely because you, you get accepted, Steve, I think on one thing and one thing alone is, is if you think you can do a job and you're going to make the team better, I think you're accepted straight away. And that's still the case now for me. Uh, you know, then you put your own personality on it. If, you're, if that's your character, you kind of find your own way. If, you know, you don't go in and you're not the alpha male from the start, uh, but you just, I think there was a good mix of, like Sean, Sean was a quiet character, but a respected character, you know, definitely. Uh, so there was a lot of people who'd go and they'd speak to Sean and they'd get his advice. But Sean wasn't going to be one who, neither was I, going dancing, singing. I don't get all that nonsense, personally, in the changing rooms now where they've got all this music on and, you know, the, the, I don't understand it. But is that me being a dinosaur? Maybe it is. <laughs> right. So let's move on then. Um, I'm going to come to what felt definitely from a fan or from my perspective, um, an end of an era. Um, your final season with the club. And it was also the season that crew got relegated back down to what had then become the first division, League One. I can't remember what name it had at that point. Did it feel like an end of an era for you guys as well? I think so, yeah. I think, uh, and, and Steve will probably agree, that at that point, like I said, at that point, it wasn't so much, the club had changed. So it wasn't so much where they were bringing, the, bringing people in from non-league to, they were, the, once you start paying the money, you're wanting the instant results and, and they started having to bring people in that they paid a lot more money for. And, and just the way I felt, just the way that they were doing things had changed from what it was, which is a natural thing. That's as you were improving and going up leads, that's going to happen. But I felt that, but especially that season, um, obviously at the end, myself, Steve, Phil Chart, you could see that there were definite shift away from and it were it were definitely a change in in personnel and a change like I say probably end of an era type of thing. because um, it was one of, and again it was one of the things where you've got to look at in that period of time what we achieved. And you know, not just about but it's it's to do that again, what we did then is gonna be hard, you know, and the chances are very slim. Uh, so I did feel, you know, at that point, it was like the end of an era type thing. And Steve, you actually went out yeah. on loan, didn't you, that last season to try and get some game time, I remember. I did, yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with Sean. It's uh, it's natural progression. You know, I I saw the likes of Steve Foster, who's, who's in football. You, you're, a, you're a piece of meat. You really are. And, and when you start to go off a little bit, you'll get a fresh meat and that's how it works. That's, that's just how it works and that's how it'll work to the, to the, le- to the day. Uh, Steve Foster was a great lad, uh, young up-and-coming centre-half uh, and it was pleasing for me to see people like that come through. Um, but I wasn't just prepared to just sit on the bench and not do anything. So I wanted to go and, and you know, still play football. I still thought I had something to offer. Uh, but, you know, I had no bitterness at all. It was just the way it was. And then the testimonial, um, or testimonials, I should say, whose idea was that? And, you know, you clearly get on with each other. Uh, there's clearly a little bit of a back and forth between you even today. Were you happy to share those testimonials or was there a little part of you, well, I've been here 10 years, I deserve my own? 
No, 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 not at all. I can remember that it was the when the first sports was about. It was the year. It was the year after, or the season after we'd gone up. Um, they were like ninety-seven, ninety-eight, and I know that we were both out of contract at that time, and uh, the club was speaking to or speaking to us about new deals, and it was one of them things where. Like lumps me and Steve in together, you know. So we were anything that were happening, we would we we were getting spoke that spoke to about the same thing about the contracts. And I can remember we played. If I can remember right, Mac, we played we played Bolton in pre-season, and we turned down a couple of offers. But that was when the first said we spoke to Darren, and it it was him when he came back saying, right, what we'll do. We'll offer you a five-year deal, which will take you up to ten years, and we'll give you a testimony. And that was the first time I'd even thought it not even entered my head up until that point. Yeah. And especially at that time, a five-year deal was something that you, you'd never really heard about. You know, it was it was strange, and it came out of the blue to me when he when they said that. Um, and we spoke about it together, and it was one things that it was. It was it was never a thing saying, "Well, I want, I want more on my own." It was, you know, in the in the end, we just got on with it, really. You know, it was it was an it was an honour to be fair. I mean, you don't have to have a testimonial. It was good of the club to grant us a testimonial, and we had, um, I mean, from everything, we had a great a great year, didn't we, Sean? Yeah. Really, and we got, we had a testimonial committee given to us, and we're still close friends with with people on that board, uh, and it was. It seemed right. It seemed fitting that we both sort of like came to crew together, went through the happy memories together. I mean, still look, it was good times for the club uh, throughout the whole ten years. Unfortunately, other than the year they got relegated when when uh, when we we actually moved on as well. But you know, there was never any. I Sean did. Sean phoned me up a couple of times and said, "I want seventy five percent of the takings." <laughs> but uh, we, we managed we managed to knock it but out, I didn't we, Sean? Seventy five percent of the work. <laughs> no, it was a great year great memories how does Liverpool and Everton come about then I know they discuss different teams but I don't think I think there was obviously the connection with Liverpool and then it, the Everton thing I, I know that I can't remember but the, there, were, there was some connection with Everton and it just seemed natural thing to get both of them together but if I can remember right it was when uh, Rooney first burst on and that night they were played Everton Everton played Crew, but they also played Bury the same night so obviously the big talk was would, would Rooney be playing and I know that a few of the uh, of the club ran Everton I can always remember that they, that they spoke to David Moyes and David Moyes said to I think it was Dario that he spoke to but, Dario, but he said Dario don't worry the kid will play and it was that, but once you know that Rooney's coming, thinking, well, there you go, that's a, that's a sellout straight away, because it was the the year after that where he first burst onto the scene. My memory of the Liverpool game is uh, Steven Gerrard just strolling around the middle of the pitch for, I think, half the game. <laughs> and uh, just, I think he'd come back from England duty and he wasn't quite ready to put any effort in. And he just sort of turned up and went through the motions and... Yeah, I mean, obviously the two, two, two great teams. It were two, it were two great days. 
Uh, my my memory of him was that Bailey, when I came on the Bailey, I'd kicked, I think it was Doof that I kicked, who was mourning, and at that time I didn't speak in English. And I think it was just after that, Jared came in and, and caught me just below my knee. And I went to open with, with a set of his studs down from the shin. That was my memory. <laughs> Did he know it was your testimonial, Sean? I think so, yeah. <laughs> so then, obviously, after you left crew, Steve, you're still in football now, aren't you? I am, yes. Yeah, I'm still involved at uh, Fleetwood Town. Um, what do you do there? Um, uh, my title is Academy, uh, Academy Physio. So I, uh, I oversee the physio for the 9s to 16s and 18s. Uh, but I've got quite a niche role in the fact that I still, I still coach uh, with, with Cy Wiles. He's the 18s coach at Fleetwood. Um, so I, I keep my hand in uh, with the coaching still. Yeah, um, I, so obviously sort of one question I've been, been wondering is if you have much dealings with Joey Barton, obviously another famous character in the world of football. But Yeah, not, not, not a great deal, to be honest. Um, obviously, I see him daily and he's always, um, he's always polite and, and we, we do speak and stuff. But, you know, I've, I've I read his book, like probably many, and, you know, when you look and you think, well, he's, he's this uh, changed character and things. But he's obviously, he's a passionate guy. He's, um, he has got together quite a good Fleetwood team. He's, there's a lot of good footballers there now. So, you know, he's been heavily backed by, uh, by the chairman, Andy Pilly. So uh, he's, he's an ambitious guy. He wants to, wants to manage higher. And Sean, are you still in the game? Um, your WhatsApp pictures you in a fireman's outfit. So I don't know. Is that your day-to-day now? Hey, aren't you? private pictures. You're aware that anyone can see them that you message, Sean? Well, I'm not, tech, not very tech savvy, to be fair. But no, I've been, uh, I was quite fortunate. I've been doing it, I've been in fire service 14 years now. So uh, it was something I, I was never interested in coaching uh, or anything like that. I didn't, it didn't really float me, but to me, there was no substitute for playing. Um, by the time I finished, I mean, I was quite lucky that I was. Not just short of being thirty-five when I when I retired, um, but the last few years didn't work for one reason or another, and um, it was one of them where I'd fallen out of love with it, and it, it turned into a job, and it was it was a natural thing. It was I'd I'd, I'd lost interest really, and then luckily once I decided to call it a day, they opened up the recruitment for the. Fire service in West Yorkshire, which I uh, straight away put in for that, and I've been there ever since. I'm sure Dario tried to make you a coach at some point because he seems to have tried to make everyone a coach who goes through the crew system. Yeah, there was, there was always a thing where uh, I think it'll have been once, once a week we had to go, if I can remember, I had to go into schools in the crew area. Uh, we were all given, we were like in twos and threes, we were given a school each. Uh, but I used to hate it. I just didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't interested in coaching. I wasn't interested in managing. And there were times when you know people said you, sh- you should do your badges and just to you know you got things to offer. But it, I, I had no interest in doing it. So I, I was at the, the mindset of well, what's the point of of doing my badges and things if I'm not going to do it? Which I wanted. Like I said, I had no interest at all. 
in doing that to, to me as soon as I finished that were it I'd, I'd finished playing I got, I got involved my son played uh, like junior football uh, and, and that's because like I said for a period I didn't really watch football I, like I said I, I, I'd fallen out of love with it when I finished and and even now if somebody said to me the thought of putting on a pair of boots would just make me shudder because I just got I'm just not you know interested in doing it but there were times it was through my son that I started watching uh, football and, and or involved with coaching uh, is a junior thing for a spell but I didn't enjoy it I couldn't think of anything worse Sean <laughs> Sean hello yeah did you, not, did you not get sent off though I did yes <laughs> so it, it, was, it, it was the strangest thing ever because I got sent off, but it were it were on a park pitch, and the, it was it was in the middle of Bradford, not far from not far from Valley Parade. And if you've ever been there, it's like rows and rows of terrace houses. And every so often there'll be a, a green area that's fenced with three or four pitches on. And I didn't agree with a few decisions that the referee were making. I thought, I thought it was a bit biased. Uh, didn't swear, didn't do anything, I didn't, didn't call him any names or anything. But thinking then he got fed up and he came over and said, he, he said, "I'm gonna, you, you don't have to go." And I said, "Well, go away," because it was a public, it was a park pitch. But he was gonna stop. They said, "If you don't leave, I'm going to finish the game at a band of game." So I had to walk out of this park, and I got all around stood on the outside of a metal fence with a pair of football boots on, a pair of tracks and bottoms. And there were just people walking past, pushing, pushing, looking at me, thinking, oh, some sort of weirdo. This <laughs> fence. So, but yeah, I finished up with an FA charge. The only time that I finished up with an FA charge, I got charged back West Riding FA. <laughs> right. I think we're going to leave it on that, Sean. Uh, I just want to say again to you both, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been great hearing from you both. No, thanks for uh, yeah. thank you. Well, good, great to be asked. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Not a problem. Uh, Stephen Aaron, thank you as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. And thank you for listening. As ever, we look forward to hearing what you thought of this episode. We're going to be back on Monday with our regular pod. So until then, goodbye. Dang, 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 ding, dong, ding, blue moon.